Our series is called Courageous. We all want to live courageous lives. We all want to have a story to tell when we get to heaven of how we lived out our faith in a great way and how we were victorious in our faith and how we challenged the hills and we took them. But we just are scared to death. So we need a good role model. And that role model for us is the book of Joshua. It's this guy whose name is Joshua. If you have your Bible, go with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're in chapter 8. Today the message is called, called Hitting the Pause Button. And today, what we're doing in the action, there's a lot of action in, in Joshua's life. And today, he just stops outside the city of Ai at the foot of the mountain of Ebal. And he just praises God. He sacrifices. He prays. He reads the scripture. And he says, God, is this what my life really is? is this, am I listening well? Am I paying attention well? So he hits the pause button. And that's something you and I have to do to make sure we're doing this right because you don't want to get to heaven, find out, oh, you know, if I just paid a little more attention, if I'd read that one more time and understood it a little better, I would be in a better place in my life choices. So that's where Joshua is today, Joshua chapter 8. So God in heaven, now as we open your word, help us to hear it well and receive it as our own. Not for anybody else, but just us. Just me. Just me. For, Lord, um, we want to live lives that are courageous, full of faith, full of victory. We want to avoid the blunders, the disasters, the curses. We certainly want to run towards the victories. Help us to do that in faith, we pray. Even as we hit the pause button today. In Christ's name, amen. So if you've been with us through the story... God's people wake up one day and they're in slavery. And these are God's chosen people. And they're in slavery in Egypt, in North Africa. Been carried away, made to do unthinkable things with no income. That's slavery. They finally escape, but they wander for 40 years because they don't obey God. They survive that wandering. That's a miracle. They come up to the Jordan River and it's at flood stage. And there's another miracle, and that's that God gets them across that river. We've been reading those stories in previous weeks. Joshua's the leader, and uh, as he crosses that river with the, the Ark of the Covenant leading the charge, the water stops, the people cross through, and, and now the word is out. These people of God really have the God, whoever this is, with them. And so now people shake in fear. They go to the first city. The city closes up. It's the city of Jericho. They march around it, and the walls come down. They, it's miraculous. They've defeated Jericho without even a fight. But one of the guys who went into that city of Jericho's name's Achan, and he decided he'd take some of the plunder for himself. And this particular city, God had said, burn the city, don't take anything for yourself. And he hid some things for himself. He, was, he wanted the goods, he was tempted, he acted on his temptation, and it brought judgment on the entire group of God's people, on the entire company. And because it brought that judgment on God's people, one guy brings the defeat to the entire nation. They go to the next city, it's called Ai, and they lose, but they should have won. Joshua comes back and says, something's not right. We've broken fellowship with God. This can't be right. And you know this from last week's lesson, right? Michael presented this from Joshua 7. Didn't Michael do a great job on it? Man, it was good. In World Series terms, that was boom, you know. Grand Slam. He's a buddy, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful that you received him with gladness, and his story is 
a, a wonderful story of God's grace, even in the midst of our own blunders, and all of us have been there. So what does Joshua do? They begin to deal with it. They deal with Achan and his family, and it's not a happy ending. But now he hears from the Lord, and the Lord says, it's time to go back and face the very city that you were defeated by, the city of Ai. You need to go back. And you know what? God does that to us sometimes. He takes us right back to the point of our defeat to bring us to this point of victory. Because if you don't face that, you may always flee from it. If you don't face that fear, then you may always flee from it, and that may not be good. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Stop there. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. What is happening here? Isn't that the way it goes? You get a few victories under your belt, and you have all kinds of confidence. You get a defeat happening, and what happens? You are discouraged, and you're afraid. Isn't it great that the Lord even knows what's happening inside of us? I was in to see the doctor not long ago. He said, your blood pressure's up. I said, of course it is. He said, why is it up? I said, because you wrap stuff around my arm and pump it full of air. I'm a little tense right now. Then they pulled out some needles, and my blood pressure went even higher. And he said, why is your blood pressure up? I said, because you're walking towards me with needles. If my blood pressure didn't go up, that's not a good sign. I mean, I don't care that I'm dead. I don't know what you think about this. I told you this once before, too. I was in to the dentist, and she said, you're going to need a root canal. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As she leaned me back, I said, you need to know something. I'm still on parole for what I did to the last dentist. If you hurt me, I will hurt you. She smiled at me, and you know, she said, I, I'm not going to hurt you. And then she said, get out the Velcro straps. You know, they <laughs> strap me down. So, you understand, you get full of victory. You get all kinds of confidence. When you get a defeat under your belt, you get all kinds of scared, right? And it comes out all kinds of ways. Cold sweat, blood pressure, making nervous choices, jumping at things that aren't really there. You're seeing things that aren't there, mild paranoia. Forget mild, just paranoia. And what, is, what does the Lord say? Very first words, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. It's a fact that the Lord even knows what's going on inside of us. That's amazing. And that he cares and that he ministers to us. And this is the leader. This is God speaking to Joshua, the leader. This could be the message right here. Let's read on. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. That's the city that they ran from. For I've delivered them into your hands. The king of Ai, get this, his people, the city, the land. Get that? It's the king, his people, the city, the land. Verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush before the city. So that's exactly what he does. They go back into attack mode. They set up an attack line. Joshua's at the front of this attack. He's going to lead the charge of the army. They're going to go in and attack, attack Ai. But what Ai doesn't know is he's also sent a smaller regiment out through the bush into a hiding place around the hills and through the woods. And they're coming up behind the city of Ai. But Ai doesn't know it because their focus is here. And you know, that's what happens to us if we overfocus. 
If you overfocus, you lose perspective on what else is happening. Isn't this true? What you tell with your kids when they're doing driver's ed, they keep driving and they just look out the front window and I go, there's lots of other places to be looking out. And the radio's not one of them, you know? And so you, you train your children, your teens, to look into that rearview mirror, right? And then you, you train them to look at the exterior mirrors, outside mirrors of the car. Why? Because they don't, they don't if they don't, they're just going to lock in on one location. That's what AI did. They locked in on what was in front of them and never looked at what was behind them. And so Joshua and the army goes in. They take uh, a march towards AI. AI comes out fighting them. And they know the last time that they fought them, that uh, Israel ran away like eight-year-old schoolgirls screaming, you know. And so they figure the same thing's going to happen. So the, the boldness of AI now is off the charts. They're downright cocky. They're coming out going, come on, we're going to take you again. And they boldly come out in a, with a kind of uh, valor that they don't have any right to have. And they overstep, they overextend their own defensive line. In other words, they come out of the city and take off charging like we're going to take you guys down. And as soon as that happens, then Joshua begins to retreat. And as he retreats, then the ambush sets in and sets the city on fire. When Joshua sees the city on fire, he turns the force back in on the army of Ai. And they go to back up and realize there's nowhere to go because our city's on fire. And, and they get lost in the, the battle. The whole city goes down. That's chapter 8. Now, what's important to notice, too, um, the end of verse 2 you may carry off plunder and livestock. I think this is significant because in Jericho, they said nothing gets saved except for what goes to the treasury. Nothing gets saved. No, no one gains from this. But in this particular one, he says, yes, you can take some plunder. And plunder means this. There are times in your life that you're going to eat the fruit from a, a tree or a bush that you never planted. And that's what plunder is. And the issue is not, are we allowed to plunder or not? The issue is, are we listening to God? Because one time he says, no, it's all devoted to me. And the next time he says, no, help yourself. And so don't think that you always know the answer. It'd be more important for you to, to think less about what you think about and more about, am I listening to God about what he's saying? And walking and experiencing victory. And after the setback, here's what happens. They go in, they take AI. And immediately there's this calm because they've taken the city and now they can relax. You ever had that moment where you can finally like, oh, home. Have you ever gone on like a two-week vacation and you come home and you brag your bags into the front door, the front door, no further. You just drop them down. All the clothes are dirty. doesn't matter. You just, you go in and you just plop down. doesn't matter. Kitchen table, couch in the family room, doesn't matter where you plop, but you're finally relaxed because you're home. And that's the way it feels, because now they're finally safe. They set up a security boundary, and now it begins to kind of bounce around in Joshua's head. You see, we learn a lot from victories, but I think we learn even more from a loss. We learn a lot from a victory, but we learn even more from a loss. And now Joshua's had victory after victory, and now a loss, and he's learned a whole lot more, and now a victory. And so now he's hitting the pause button. And that's what I want to do with you. He takes a pause right here because he remembers the day 
that God spoke to Moses and said, you're going to cross the Jordan River and you're going to go into the promised land. And when you do, you're going to build an altar. It's going to be at the foot of Mount Ebal and you're going to sacrifice. You're going to have a celebration. There'll be a meal and you're going to read the word of God. He told them that. Deuteronomy chapter 27. If you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 27. And you know what happens? Joshua takes a break chapter 8 verse uh, Joshua 8 verse 30 it's almost a quote of Deuteronomy 27 look at verse 30 Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord the God of Israel as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites he built it in accordance according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses an altar of uncut stones that's what we've been told don't don't manufacture the stones don't trim them I want you to work the stones the way they've been formed so no iron tool had been used on them. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Those are two different kinds of offerings. We'll come back to that. Verse 32. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. He'd been told to plaster the stones and then write it again, and that's what he's doing here. Verse 32. And all the Israelites and their elders and officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Stop there. So not only are there foreigners who are they're called proselytes, they come into the faith, they believe in God, and they want to be part of this family. So the community has welcomed them. And then there are those who were born into this family called Israel, and they're welcoming them. So everybody's there, men, women, children, native-born, foreigners, they're all there, and they're all assembled. And then half the people stood in the front of Mount Gezer, uh, Gerizim, the other half in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded that when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. So he's, he's standing, there's the Ark of the Covenant, they've made the new stones for the, the Ten Commandments. There's a Mount uh, Gerizim, Mount Ebal. These guys are facing each other. It's kind of a ceremony, almost a tunnel, if you will, uh, uh, a left and right side to this thing because they're facing each other. And this, oftentimes they would sing too back and forth like this. In fact, you read Ezra and Nehemiah, that is what happened in that kind of a ceremony. And now he blesses the people. Then verse 34, afterward J Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses. Get this, he read all the words of the law. Do you know what the law is? The law is also called the Pentateuch, five, Penta, it's the five books of the Old Testament. First five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're also called the Law of Moses or the Books of Moses because Moses was the, probably the human writer for most or if not all of it. So this is the story that Moses would have written it's called the Law or the Books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch. He read all five books. What if I told you next Sunday, hey, are you going to come to church? You know where this is going, right? We're going to read all five books of the Old Testament. Some of you are going, yeah, we're going to the lake. We're going to grandma's. We're not coming for that service. Yeah. But they stood and they rejoiced at the reading of the five books. And they read, it says, verse 34, the blessings and the curses. In other words, they read the parts they liked and the parts they didn't like. You know how it is. You read the parts of the Bible that you like. I love one another. That's what you say to your brother and sister when they fight. Love one another. Love one another. Don't show your ignorance. I know it's in there in the Bible somewhere. Don't show your ignorance. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I know it's in there somewhere. 
Right? You just quote little bits of what you think might be the Bible. You just quote favorite pieces that work in your favor. Mm -hmm. When I'm driving and someone cuts me off, I scream justice verses. Right? Don't you? Yes. Curse the day you were born, you Philistine you. But when no one merges and lets me in, come on, show a little mercy here. How about some love? Right? Yeah. You, you've heard this before. In fact, I, you hear this all the time. My kids come home, the only time the oil changes is when my cars are, you know, I'm around the car. Because they're college students. They don't change oil. They go to college. I change oil because I'm the dad. Right? So I change the oil and want to say, how was it? And the kids say, oh, thanks, Dad. It was really good. I said, yeah. And the blinker fluid was a little low, too. <laughs> check that next time. Okay, Dad, I'm all over that. They don't check it. You check the blinker? Oh, yeah. Some of you are writing that down. Go home this afternoon. Check the blinker fluid. Have a good time with that. He reads all the words of the law, not just the parts he likes, but the, the cursing and the blessing. We have to do that too. Not just the parts we like. Just as it was written in the book of the law, there was not a word that all of Moses had commanded that, that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel. In other words, this was including the women, the children, the foreigners that lived among everybody was there for the reading of the law, and they rejoiced together. Now, here's the pause. Three pauses from this, these six verses. The first was the pause to review. Joshua, verse 30, builds an altar at Mount Ebal, which is an exact command from Deuteronomy 27. And I can't help but think, he's thinking verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And that would lead him to, to also remember the earlier part of Joshua 1. Be strong and very courageous, the Lord tells Joshua. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn to the left, to the right of it, or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate, think about it, night and day, day and night, so you'll be careful to do everything that's written in it, and then you'll be prosperous, then you'll be successful. So here are the questions. Am I on track? This is the pause button. And if, if you had a dashboard to your life, I'd say this. You need to take the pause button and implement it. The first pause button is the pause to review. Am I on track? Am I obeying what God has said in his word? Am I turning this to the left or to the right? Am I making it say what I want it to say, or is it saying what it says? And then am I speaking it? So am I, am I not just keeping it to myself? Am I engaging with the truth so I'm verbalizing it so people around me know where I stand? It changes the climate of the room, the family, the community. When I say it, may it always be on my lips, and not just on my lips, but may I meditate on it, may I think about it, is this part of my thinking process, do I always take it back when I'm given a business opportunity, do I lay it on top of what the word is saying, and the ethics, and, and my schedule in light of what God is saying about my limits as a human being, what, what is the right thing to do, do I 
take the word of God and use it as a filter to my life for everything? Am I on track? Because if I'm not, I won't be careful to obey everything that it says. That's number one. Make the pause button, the pause to review. Number two, pause to make an offering. Verse 31, they offered the burnt offerings and sacrifice fellowship offerings. Because we're Americans, we just kind of read right through that. That's okay. But there's a difference between the two. Long before they ever landed in the promised land, they offered burnt sacrifices to God. And those burnt sacrifices to God covered the sin of God's people. This was central to Israel's worship. The burnt offerings always came first. They did not come somewhere else in the service. They always came first because they wanted to begin by getting their hearts right with God. Then they could rejoice. Then they could fellowship. Then they could worship. There would be joy in the camp once their hearts were clean. So they would offer a burnt sacrifice. And the worshiper would lay his hand, if you could see the picture of this, on if it were a little lamb, who, by the way, had to be blemish-free and clean and perfect in every way. So it's the best lamb. They'd lay that lamb on the altar and the, the worship leader, perhaps a Levite, maybe one of the elders of the day, would lay his hand on it, symbolically transferring the sin of, of God's people onto that poor, innocent lamb who never did anything wrong. And then they would sacrifice that lamb and start the fire. And I believe when God's people saw that, they saw the seriousness of their sin and the reality that sin had to be paid for. Now, thank God in heaven, we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're thankful for that. But we don't see Jesus on the altar. We don't see his blood. We don't see the sacrifice. Therefore, it's distant to us. And I think is a little bit of a, of a disadvantage in that somehow the church could go casual on sin or go lighthearted Or think that there's a big sin, small sin. As if it doesn't really matter. Israel knew when that elder or priest, uh, Levite, whoever laid their hand, he knew they were transferring the sins and he knew there was a consequence for it. And they burned that, that sacrifice and that little lamb got burned till there was nothing left. It was total consuming fire. That's the burnt offering. Then they would walk to a different altar and offer again what's called the fellowship offering. And in other translations, sometimes in the Bible, it's called the peace offering. Different altogether. Now that we've established a clean relationship with God the Father in heaven, now we offer another offering to the Lord. It's another lamb, but this lamb is not consumed totally in the fire. Instead, this lamb is actually cooked on the, on the spit and then is pulled off and becomes the, the kind of the key meat to the start of the celebration. Then they have a feast. They eat together. And they thank God for the fellowship, and it becomes a peace offering between them. You see, you can't get right with people till you first get right with God. Once you're right with God, now he wants you to connect not only with him, but with the people in that community of faith. And that's exactly what that second offering is all about. So this offering is really key to hit the pause button and occasionally review your life, number one. The pause button to review. Second button. 
to not just review my life, but to make an offering, to check myself for sin, and, and to be tough on it. And, and to say to God, God, please forgive me. I did wrong. I sinned. I let you down. Help me not only to be forgiven, but to feel forgiven and to forsake it. But there's a third, a third piece to this, and it's the pause to realign. Chapter 8, again, verse 34. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel. So they read this thing again. And, and by reading it again, you could ask yourself this. Is there something that we missed? Because we've had success and then we've had failure and then success again. Is there something that we could do to keep another AI from happening? That's the great question, isn't it? So is there something that we missed? Is there something that's out of line? Is there a blessing that I should pursue? Is there a curse that I should shun or avoid? Because they didn't want to go through this ever again. They didn't want ever to have the curse of God upon them, the judgment of God upon them. This is largely, by the way, this piece, when Joshua, verse 34, reads the words of the law, this is very instructional. It's very cranial, actually. But what happens is they get used to trafficking within the scriptures, and that's a good thing. There's a biblical kind of literacy with this community of faith, and that's the way it is. If you're going to make great decisions in life and be a courageous person of faith, you're going to have to be very familiar with the word of God and be in it all the time. They didn't want to go through this loss, number one, but number two, they did want to have the instruction of the word. So here's where I'm going to pull it together. Zoom it to the year 2015. When was the last time you hit a pause button in your life? You hit a pause button to review your life, to offer, get current with God. You hit the pause button to realign whatever it is that God's doing in your life. When was the last time you did that? Now, I know the speed of life and the speed of business and money and support and family and social life, all that keeps you from hitting that pause button. And that's what will cause an AI, the disaster in your life. So let me just, let me give to you not suggestions really, but more directives. Hit the pause button, button to review. Am I, doing, am I doing what God has said in his word? Am I heeding the broad sweep of his will? That's a great question. Am I, am I following what I know is, is God's will for every Christian? Every Christian. And then beyond that, am I following God's specific will and direction on my life? In other words, the way he has the way he has uniquely wired me and shaped me, am I following that or am I in conflict with that? What is happening as I review my life? Where is my life? Secondly, the pause button to offer. What is a sin, get this now and don't skip past this, what is a sin that's taking up residency in my home, in my heart, in my soul, no one knows about it and I think no one else knows no one's going to know about it. What is that sin 
and what am I doing about it? What takes up residency ever so easily in my heart? Maybe it's as simple as a, an attitude, a smugness, something just so subtle, you hardly notice it's there until it's been there. Then you begin to see it, its ugly head occasionally, but you don't even see it consistently. Pause to offer to the Lord. Open my heart and, and create in me, Psalm 51, a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. I, I open my life. That's the kind of pause that an offering will be. And that, that burnt offering will always precede then the fellowship you can have with other people. If you're always in conflict with everybody, there's a fair chance the conflict may be inside you, see? And you'll never be at peace with each other, that peace offering, until you're at peace with yourself before your maker. Now, that, that bit of the burnt offering to the fellowship offering, we all want the party, don't we? Few of us want to do the the burnt offering. We don't want to face the hard realities, the commitment. I've noticed a trend. It's kind of a funny trend today, and I'm just off track here. But maybe you've noticed it too. I'll go to a wedding, and I don't do many weddings outside of SBC. I don't do many weddings, period. But, but I've noticed there'll be 30, 40, 50 people at the wedding, but there'll be 150 or 200 at the reception. Has anybody else noticed this? So they don't show up for the commitment, but they show up for the party. Anybody else notice this? Yeah. And I think, what is going on? It used to be that the wedding was the big deal. No, not anymore. It's the reception that's the big deal. And my word to you is this. No one wants the commitment, the burnt offering. We all want the party. But the party's not possible if you don't have the commitment. So... I say that to you, do the hard work in your own soul. And I say this very carefully, not judgmentally, no one in particular in mind, and no sin, no particular sin in mind. You be hard on yourself and be gracious with others. And what you'll find is this, people around you will be more gracious to you. And if they do, great, and if they don't, they don't. But you be hard on yourself, gracious with others, and deal with your own bag of stuff way more than you deal with their stuff create in me a clean heart that's what the psalmist said not clean heart in all of us or in those people just in me so pause button number one review your life is this god's will am i doing god's will is this the way god has designed me to live out the life of faith that's pause button number one pause button number two Offer, which means I get my heart right before God and before the people around me. And then pause button number three, pause to realign, which is instruction of the Lord that am I taking the whole counsel of God in? Am I taking it in in an instructional way? Am I hearing from God on a regular basis? If the only meal, spiritual meal that you're getting is Sunday, that's like only eating a big meal on Sunday and then never Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, well, you'll be in health trouble. You say, well, I'll just eat even more on Sunday. Yeah. Have you ever eaten, anybody else eaten on Thanksgiving, like stuffed yourself, like three hours later, you're back in the kitchen going, I'm a little hungry. Yeah, it's a bunch of us. Yeah. I'm getting ready for that now. That's the championship of eating. Right before Friday, which is the championship of greed, isn't it? We say thanks on Thursday, 
get out of my way on Friday. Yeah. But you're going to want to eat again, so eat some every day and eat the spiritual food. Get into the word for yourself. Am I taking the whole counsel of God? And you're saying, this is tough work, and it is. It is. But if you don't take this pause, losing the battle is inevitable. It will eventually come at you. The psalmist put it, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And God, he says, you don't despise that. Isaiah 57, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live in the high place and the holy place, but I also live with the one who is of contrite and low in spirit. So blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, Romans 4, whose sins are covered, and they are. Claim them as covered. Ask God to forgive. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians chapter 1. And so we can bear with each other, and we can forgive each other. Why? Because we know we have been forgiven. We tend to be more forgiving when we know that we have been forgiven. And confessing our sins to one another, James chapter 5, allows us to pray for each other. And what happens then is then there seems to be a healing effect that takes place when you, when you begin to confess your sins. Because there's a release to it. Really a great release. Well, let's go to prayer. And uh, I'm going to invite you just to bow your head with me. And I'm going to pray, but... I'm going to ask you to hit the pause button too. Review your life. Maybe right now. Maybe a sin that you just say, God, this is the pause button I need to hit to confess the sin. And another might be saying, you know what? I confess my sin, but I don't know enough of the word to really matter, so... The realignment for me is to be in the word every single day. And it is a broken spirit, Lord, and a contrite heart that you do not despise because you desire in us honesty and integrity and pure hearts. It's what we pray for. May we be the people who confess our sins and know that you are faithful and just and that you will forgive us and you will purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may that be so. And I'm going to encourage you, even as I pray now, for you, maybe every day this week, you just take a moment and hit the pause button. You shut your office door or you walk down a hall or you head to a patio, you go to a terrace or you walk through a parking lot but you hit the pause button and you say, okay God, this is our moment. I'm taking inventory. Am I in alignment with what you want? Am I reviewing the life? Is this the life that you mean for me? Is there a way of wickedness that's happening, it's creeping in on me and I don't even realize it's happening? And you promise, Lord, to go with us through this, just like you did with Joshua. You'll do it for us, too. So we're calling upon you to do that. For some in the room, it's just to call upon the name of the Lord who says, I'll save you. That's maybe your prayer. 
God in heaven, I know I need a Savior. I want Christ in my life. That's your prayer. Good for you. But God, would you please get us to the point where we are taking regular moments to hit the pause button, we pray in Christ's name. The church says amen.